You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Happy New Year. Welcome to a brand new edition of Rico Bronia. I am back from Disney World. <laughs> it's good to be home. It's good to be in New York. And it does give us time to sit down, take a deep breath, relax, and respond to what was a crazy week in Metland. And I say week because when Yamamoto made that decision about a week and a half ago to sign with the LA Dodgers, there was a lot of shock, even though we shouldn't have been shocked. There was a lot of anger, even though what are we really angry about? And then there was that moment of, okay, what the hell do we do now? So as I was riding teacups at Disney World, as I was on Soarin' at Epcot Center and all the many, many rides that I forgot that I rode with my kids, I gave a lot of thought to what the hell do we do next? And we'll discuss that today on the Rico Plus. I think this will also be very therapeutic, Rico. Over the course of the last week, the Rico Bronia email bag got jammed. A lot of people with reaction to what happened with Yamamoto deciding to sign with the LA Dodgers. And so what we're going to do is therapeutically read almost all of the emails we got. Not all of them, because that would take hours, but let's say a decent portion of the emails that you sent in reaction to the Yamamoto decision and what to do next that we received at the RicoB at gmail.com. We also received a lot of emails reacting to some of the holiday podcasts, including Best Season in Met History and Best One-Year Wonders. We won't do that today. We'll do that next week. We'll react to some of your responses to that. But today will be a focus on the Yamamoto decision and obviously where the Mets go from here. So let's start off with the very first email we got from Casey who wrote, I'm officially furious. We knew that Yamamoto wanted either the Yankees or L.A. If we wanted a true shot, it was going to be about the dollars and cents. Cohen had one damn job, offer the most money. He failed. If you're willing to go to 325 for 12, you couldn't go to 350 just to make sure you were the highest bidder. All I'm seeing is the Mets and Cohen did all they could. No, false, BS. Offer the biggest contract. If he goes elsewhere, fine. How could we complain? Instead, we're left here saying, of course he went to L.A. You didn't make yourself more attractive than the Dodgers. The bloom is off the road. Sorry, am I crazy? Are we the only ones who knew what had to be done? Merry freaking Christmas, Casey. 
So here's the semantics game that's been going on for the last week or so. Did the Mets make the highest offer? They did at one point. The problem was the highest offer that they made, the 325 over 12, was not far enough away from the Dodgers offer where L.A. was simply able to say, hey, we're going to match that. And once the Dodgers matched that, Yamamoto obviously had a preference to go there, and it was over. And that's why I go back to something I had said a couple of weeks ago. And it was a part of why I wasn't very confident the Mets were going to win this sweepstakes. They were going to have to leave no doubt. They were going to have to win the bidding by a lot. And that's very, very difficult to do when you have other teams also willing to make such huge offers. Like even the Dodger offer before they eventually matched with the Mets was right around $300 million. So the Dodgers are already showing this commitment to offering a huge amount of money for a guy who would never pitch in Major League Baseball. So for the Mets to have made an offer that was unmatchable, they needed to go with the strategy I laid out a few weeks ago, shock and awe. They needed to be the highest bidder by such a significant margin that the Dodgers were going to unable to match, that you were going to have to force this guy to take less money to go to the Dodgers, and the Mets didn't do that. So semantics, did they make the highest offer? Yeah. At one moment, they had the highest offer, but it wasn't by enough for the Dodgers to say, hey, sorry, we can't go there. So I think what Steve Cohen has proven, and this is why uh, the answer always lies somewhere in the middle. The answer to Steve Cohen is he's a big market owner. He's just not the big market owner that we were all dreaming about three years ago. And if your response is, but come on, Evan, that's not fair. They offered 325 to a guy that never pitched in Major League Baseball. I'd say, yeah, and so did the Dodgers. So he's a big market owner, but he ain't any different than the big market ownership of the LA Dodgers, or even to a degree, the big market ownership of the New York Yankees. Does that make him terrible? No. Does that make him a fraud? No. Does that make him not care about 2024? No. That's all hyperbole. That's all going over the top. But if they were going to win this bidding, and I thought this for weeks, that's why when this news came out as I was in the state of North Carolina driving down to Disney, I wasn't surprised. I mean, we should all have expected this. But I understand Casey's anger. I do get that. Howie C. writes, obviously disappointing, but who knows? Maybe we dodged a bullet. Maybe the Mets can try to get Roki Sasaki next year. He's only 22 years old and throws 100 miles per hour and had a 19 strikeout perfect game last year. For now, let's try for Jordan Montgomery and Lucas Giolito. Obviously, Lucas Giolito off the board. More on that later. I think anytime you miss out on a free agent, we all try to rationalize and say, well, maybe we're lucky. And there are times where we are. I remember years and years ago when Barry Zito was the kind of the apple of our eye. That was the guy we wanted. And the Mets didn't end up getting Barry Zito. And eventually, over the life of that contract, you looked at it and said, wow, the Mets dodged a bullet. I'm not going to be a hypocrite a week later and say, ooh, we're lucky. No. There was a reason why the Mets were willing, and I certainly was willing as a fan, to say, hey, throw whatever you can to sign this guy because you were talking about a unique talent. I'm not going to rewrite history a week later because I'm pissed off we didn't get him. Douglas Peterson writes, at least it wasn't the Yankees, I guess. Doug then wrote a day later, I'm amending this email, F the Yankees and F the Dodgers too. Here's what's funny about the 
are we better off? It's not the Yankees versus the Dodgers kind of conversation we have as Met fans. In the town we live in, where our brothers and sisters and our cousins and our friends and neighbors are Yankee fans, emotionally, we would have been beaten up for Yamamoto to sign with the Yankees. We would not have heard the end of it. It would have been a lot of how's beggar and better than Steve. Steve's a false God. You guys are fraud. You'll never be the Yankees, blah, 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 blah. And that would have been harsh and painful and obnoxious and annoying. No question about it. From a competitive standpoint, obviously, we'd be better off with him with the Yankees. If we're going to have any fantasies, and trust me, we will, because that's what we do as Met fans and baseball fans. If we have any fantasies about making the playoffs and getting hot, and why can't we be the Diamondbacks of 2024? If we're going to have any of that, then why the hell would we want the Dodgers who are in our league to get better? Why would we want that? It's a pick your poison situation. If you want to enjoy the rest of the offseason, which is a challenge right now, and not have your Yankee fan friends annoy the crap out of you, then yes, we were better off getting the news that he was going to Los Angeles. But come October, if the Mets are fortunate enough and everything breaks the right way, and we're sitting there in a best of five series against the LA Dodgers or the National League Championship Series against the LA Dodgers, trust me, we're not going to be that happy that Yamamoto ended up with the Dodgers. So it's short-term versus long-term. Patrick writes, I'm struggling to find the optimism anymore. The Mets continue to strike out on the biggest free agents, whether they make an offer or not. The Yamamoto news only confirms that, not that I was ever confident in signing him. I fear they're headed into 2024 to be the highest paid 60-win team ever assembled. (laughs) Cohen's money is not moving the needle with free agents. Other teams are getting creative to avoid the Cohen tax. I don't remember feeling this much apathy heading into a season probably since 2012-ish. I fully expect this season to be over by June. Please help me understand what is going to change headed into 2025 and beyond. They got some nice prospects at the trade deadline last year. They talk about moving Scherzer at the deadline, and 2024 is a rebuild, and the focus is on 2025 and beyond. That's great, but free agents still need to want to play here, and Steve's money isn't enough, obviously. I fear we are headed to the doldrums of 29 to 2013, just with more cash in hand. I think that what the Yamamoto free agency is a reminder of is that the New York Mets for now are going to have to outbid their opponents by a decent amount to get the free agents they want. When you look back at the signing of Max Scherzer and the signing of Justin Verlander, I don't want to say there wasn't a market for them. There was, but it was certainly not the robust market that Yamamoto had. You didn't have teams as aggressive as they were for Yamamoto. So when you look ahead towards next year and you eye Corbin Burns or Juan Soto and Shane Bieber, the New York Mets, and this is what Steve Cohen better understand, and this is why I say, yes, he's a big market owner. Yes, he's willing to spend. I don't think he's some kind of fraud, but he is going to have to outbid his opponents. Otherwise, why is anyone coming here? We can't be delusional. We can't think because Steve Cohen is cool and he invites people over to his house that guys are going to come here. No, you've got to make it make there be a reason for guys to come here. And for now, it's not the team on the field. It's not. Maybe someday it will be. Maybe there'll be a time where, hey, it's New York. Hey, it's the Mets. I want to play there. 
That is not where we are in 2024 or probably 2025. So let's make this very, very clear because I know we're going to have this conversation a hundred times before we get to next offseason. If the New York Mets are going to sign Juan Soto, if the New York Mets are going to sign Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber, I leave Zach Wheeler out of this because of his connection to the Mets. So look at any other big free agent next year. And obviously Soto is the headliner. You have to significantly outbid your opponent, not slightly outbid them, not to the point where that other team has a chance to match. You know why the Mets never had a chance to match on the Grom? We always like to create this story that the Grom didn't want to be here. No, because the Mets weren't even close. Because the Mets offer was nowhere near where Texas's offer was. That's what the Mets need to do for free agents. And that's scary because to have done that with Yamamoto, And I I go back to something I said two weeks ago. I stand by it. I said the contract offer I'd make was 12 years, 400 million. Find the tape of the old Rico on that. Or maybe I said it on the fan too with Tiki. 12 years, 400 million. That would be my offer. If that was the offer they made, either he's a Met or he was taking less money to go to the Dodgers. Because ultimately he didn't take less money to go to the Dodgers. So my answer to Patrick's email is, There's a part of what you're saying that's true. But that doesn't mean Cohen isn't next year going to look at a guy like Juan Soto and say, hey, if I want him to leave the New York Yankees to sign with the New York Mets, I can't slightly outbid them. I got to really outbid them. You got to be a bully. Because the LA Dodgers, and we can talk about their creativity all we want, They spent a billion dollars this offseason. That's not an exaggeration. They spent a billion dollars to sign the two biggest free agents on the market. The two guys we all wanted, or at least a lot of us wanted. That was supposed to be us. (laughs) You know, when Steve bought the team, that was our vision. We were going to be the LA Dodgers. Not in terms of winning 100 games every year, though that'd be nice. But in terms of, oh, those are the two biggest free agents? Okay, fine. We're going to sign both of them. The lesson of Yamamoto is next year, the year after that, you got to go out and significantly outbid your rivals because you're not winning a tie. You're not winning a draw. It's not happening. Michael Shulman writes, the ultimate Yamamoto pivot. Fellas, I propose a pivot strategy. There's one part of this strategy that's already outdated, and we'll address it. Number one, trade Jeff McNeil and Kevin Prada to the uh, Mariners in exchange for Logan Gilbert. I don't think the Mariners are making that trade, but nice idea. Number two, sign Lucas Giolito to a short-term contract to prove his worth. Lucas Giolito ended up getting a short-term deal. It was a two-year contract for about $19 million a year. I think it had added up to with Boston, and he has an opt-out after one year. Yes, I would have signed Lucas Giolito to that contract. I'll answer that right now. Yes. Lucas Giolito's value, despite how poorly he pitched at the end of last year with Cleveland and Anaheim, is that he gives you innings. Right now, the Mets need that. I mean, they need a few things in their rotation, but they need that kind of innings eater, and Giolito's that. And I would have taken the risk on, I think he'll be the guy from the first half more than the guy from the second half. And that contract he ended up getting, totally reasonable compared to... You know, what other pitchers are getting. I mean, look at what Frankie Montas got from Cincinnati. Look at even what Luis Severino got from us. So I would have had no issue with that, Mike, but it, obviously it's gone. Number three, bringing Tim Anderson for second base duties. I'm not against that. I think one of my formulas for this offseason is 
Go get guys on prove-it deals. Luis Severino fits that. Tim Anderson coming off one of the worst years you could have would absolutely fit that. Secure Jorge Soler for left field DH roles. And finally, trade Mark Vientos and Drew Smith to the Cleveland Guardians for James Karinchek. All right, not bad. Strategy aims to create a six-man rotation, primarily composed of two to three-tier pitchers, with Seve, Senga, Gio, and Gilbert showcasing considerable upside. Team excelling in starting pitching innings often contend strongly. Anderson and Soler not only offer athleticism, but also provide protection for Pete. Karinchek's presence as a top-tier eighth-inning option strengthens our bullpen. You are right that all of those things are still aspects of this team they need to address. They need a designated hitter. They need a left fielder. They need to add two bats. They need to add a more reliable arm in their bullpen. And obviously, they need starting pitching. Because right now, their rotation is not good enough. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion Team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Peter writes, great podcast. Thank you for doing what you do, being the voice of us diehard Met fans. My brother and I love to play off-season Mets GM and often have a realistic view on the off-season plans and what we're capable of doing. I didn't submit our version of an off-season plan But if we did, it would have 100% included Yamamoto. Over the last few weeks, and especially after Otani went to the Dodgers, I was getting worried we wouldn't land him. I always felt confident we would have gotten him over the Yankees, and it looks like we would have done that just if it came down to the two New York teams. Despite what Andy Martino had to say, the Players Union encouraged every player to take the most money to set the bar higher for the next phenom pitcher. And Yamamoto did just that. It It just wasn't with us. We were the stalking horse. 
the team in the end that was used as leverage for the Dodgers front office to match. But anyway, I digress. I'm over it. I've had this plan in my back pocket. Would love your take on it. All right, before we address his plan, while I think that the Dodger, I'm sorry, Yamamoto and his camp were using the Mets, again, if you make him an offer the Dodgers can't match, you at least put him and his agent in that spot of turning down the most money. Now, when you're making an offer, do you know what the other teams are offering? Not necessarily. I get that. It's not like the Mets knew, okay, LA's offering 12 for 300. We'll offer 12 for 325 because you know that's not that far off. It's really $2.5 million a year off. It's not that much for a team like the Dodgers owned by Guggenheim that just dropped $700 million as deferred as it is for Shohei Otani. They needed, and this is the way I always felt about this, they needed to significantly blow him away. They did not do that. Here's his solid plan B or 1A. Over the last two years, Cohen has been stealth-like. This year has been more of the same as all of these deals were done with not many of us see coming. I think that's how this front office is planning on running. I think with that, the M- I think with that MO, they're going to fill that hole in the rotation with Trevor Bauer on a one to two year deal with a prove it on a big stage contract, maybe one or two years at $20 million per incentives. If that does not happen, I see a trade happening with San Diego who wants to lower payroll under $200 million and maybe they pry away you Darvish in a salary dump for prospect kind of deal. Then I think we're going to shorten the game a bit and load up an offer for a lockdown eighth inning guy. Think Hector Neris or Josh Hader. And while the rest of the world think Justin Turner at DH is a great fit for us and would love to see it, it doesn't fit this front office's MO to do the obvious. I do think they have a chance to do it, but I see a mega deal coming together with San Diego. Think you, Darvish, and Manny Machado in exchange for taking on 75% of the salary of both players, Brett Beatty, Kevin Pareda, Mike Vassell. I haven't heard a whisper of a deal like this, but it does sound like a deal we didn't see coming that solves the need and also sets up for a competitive team in 24 that has a good starting rotation, protection for Pete, depth, and power. What do you think of this strategy? Uh, let's see. Let's go through a few of these things. You Darvish still has something left, but he's older and he signed long-term. So does you Darvish fit necessarily the timeline of what they're trying to do? Manny Machado does. He's in the prime of his career. I have gotten no indication. I don't think any of us has that San Diego, besides trading Juan Soto and letting some free agents go like Josh Hader and Seth Lugo, are really going to blow it up to that extent. If they do, there's a lot of pieces I'd be interested. Not just Manny Machado, but certainly Fernando Tatis Jr. And certainly not just Hugh Darvish, a guy like Joe Musgrove, despite our anger at his sticky ear. You are right. And this is the the exciting part, I guess, the hopeful part we have to be as Met fans, that sometimes deals come out of absolute nowhere. Sometimes you don't even hear rumors about it. We just saw, saw that in the NBA with the Knicks trade for OG Ananobi. It came out of absolute nowhere. We even saw it with the Red Sox-Braves trade of Chris Sale. It came out of absolute nowhere. Francisco Lindor a couple of years ago was a deal that came out of absolute nowhere. I've still held out hope that the deal with Chicago for a Luis Robert would come out of nowhere. I just remain very skeptical that the Padres are going to go further with their salary dumping that would lead to them trading Manny Machado. I don't see it happening. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think what the Mets and the Yankees and every team needs to do is they got to investigate Trevor Bauer a lot more. 
And I don't just necessarily mean the accusations against him because the other aspect of Trevor Bauer is that it seems like teammates everywhere have never liked him. And so I think you have to look into that because there are some players who are worth, even if they're a problem in the clubhouse, saying, ah, screw it, I'll bring them in. On a one-year make-good deal, I don't know. I'd hesitate. So I think if you're the Mets, the Yankees, or anybody else, you just got to do a lot more research on a lot of aspects of Trevor Bauer, including the accusations against him, including what teammates have thought about him, including where he's at right now mentally, including where he's at personality-wise. He's always been a cocky SOB. I don't know if you can be that right now. I think you'd have to come in as a very humble guy. David Ramos writes, not upset. So far, what I'm hearing locally from the media is kind of that the Mets could have gone higher. But I think the Mets went the highest. It's very clear to me Yamamoto went to the Dodgers and gave them the last right to match, but never gave the Mets a chance to exceed that. The Mets couldn't do more than what they offered. Maybe the Dodgers would have said okay if the Mets offered 350. The Mets have a guy, the top contract in the history of pitchers to a guy who never pitched an MLB. That's the most they or anyone can do. And to what to do next season, or and what to do next. Sorry, I'm trying to read this correctly. And as far as what to do next, I'm not in on Umaga because if you bring him in, you got to count that you need another pitcher because you got to go to a six-man rotation. I'm willing to do that with a stud pitcher, but not a third starter. I'd much rather look at Jordan Montgomery. If you can get him for 5-125, why not? If not, it gets more building this up as a bridge year, and I'm okay with that. 100%, I do not want Blake Snell. Have fun on your trip. Let's go, Mets. David Ramos. All right. I don't know if the Dodgers would have matched 350 or 375. We don't know that for sure. Is it possible? Yeah. I mean, it seems like the Dodgers are everything we thought Steve Cohen was. So, yeah, if the Mets are offering him 12 years, 400, like I laid out, is it possible the Dodgers would have said, fine, we're going to match? Maybe. I just think the Mets needed to be higher and higher to make that happen. All right, let's get to those pivot starting pitchers. Jordan Montgomery, of the guys available right now, is the most intriguing to me. He is the guy who I'd look at and say, hey, I have the most confidence that that guy over the next three to four years can continue to get better. And we haven't seen the best of him. Now, he's different than a bridge guy because to get Jordan Montgomery, you're going to have to give him at minimum five years, maybe more. Here's why I'm not afraid of that, though. Right now, the Mets have a rotation. That features Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, and Adrian Hauser. They've got four guys. They're going to add someone else. Who that guy is? Is it going to be on the level of Jordan Montgomery? Is it going to be a Michael Lorenzen, Eric Lauer, Jake Odorizzi kind of guy? Maybe. But they're definitely going to add a fifth starting pitcher. But let's think long term for a second. Of all those guys I just mentioned, only one guy is signed past this year, and that's Kodai Senga. So I'm not against bridge guys, but if all you have are bridge guys, next year, you're going to be in the same spot. Now, there are a lot of starting pitchers available next year. We've mentioned some of the names, but the Mets can't just sign one guy. They're going to need to sign three or four guys, depending on the development of their young starting pitchers. So I'm not against getting someone now who can be in this rotation for the next couple of years so that going into next offseason, you're not looking to fill four rotation spots or three rotation spots. If you sign Jordan Montgomery, 
if you sign the lefty from Japan and you're signing them to multi-year deals, you at least know going into next year, okay, I got Kodai, I got the guy I just signed, hopefully of the young pitchers, a few of them can come up here and contribute and make me think they could be in the rotation in 2025. And then when you go into free agency, you don't need to sign three guys. If everybody's a bridge guy, think about how many free agents or trades you're going to have to make next year to fill out a rotation. That's why I'm not scared off by Jordan Montgomery. I like the idea of going into next offseason saying, okay, I got two guys I know I feel good about in Kodai Senga and Jordan Montgomery. And if I could add Shane Bieber, if I could add Corbin Burns, if I could bring back Zach Wheeler, great. I don't have to sign all of them. I can sign one of them. And the other reason why I think it's important, the more I've thought about this, to get a long-term guy, a Jordan Montgomery, is think about next year's free agency, not just among starting pitchers like I laid out that you're going to have to add two, three, four guys. Juan Soto, you would think, is going to be a primary target. Pete Alonso is not re-signed yet. Are we assuming that the Mets are going to extend Pete Alonso? God willing, I hope, not just as a Mets fan, but I have not shaved my beard or cut my hair since I made the proclamation that a loyalty to Pete, I'm going to keep growing my hair till he signs. I look like a freaking caveman right now. So not just out of selfishness for my own look, but as a Met fan, I hope they get Pete done because I don't want to go into next offseason needing to do five things. If you don't re-sign Pete now, and you don't add a long-term starting pitcher. You add another bridge guy. Think about what you need to do in free agency next year. Resign Pete Alonso just to maintain the status quo. Go after Juan Soto, who you're going to try to pry away from the Yankees. And then, oh, by the way, go at three starting pitchers in free agency. <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't do that. It doesn't mean the Mets can't just open up the pocketbook, especially with some contracts coming off the books next year, the money owed to Max Scherzer, potentially the money owed to Justin Verlander. But wouldn't you like to have a few things done now? Extending Alonzo and adding a long-term starting pitcher at least does that. The problem is when you look at the free agents, most of them are one-year guys. The only one besides Imanaga is Jordan Montgomery. Blake Snow, I think we mostly all agree, let's stay away from him. But they're not going after Marcus Stroman, as solid as he is. I think he burned that bridge. That's on him. Hinjin Ryu is always hurt. Can't touch Clayton Kershaw. No thanks on Carlos Carrasco. Brandon Woodruff's interesting. And it would at least give you a rotation spot for next year. But it doesn't help you this year. And I think you do need at least a little bit of help this year. Corey Kluber, James Paxton, Michael Lorenzen, Eric Lauer, who has the David Stearns Brewers connection. I lean towards adding Jordan Montgomery and adding a guy that I not only have in the have in the rotation now, but I have somebody that at least I can plan on for next year as well. Let's get back to your emails. Brian writes, Evan, I think I'm one of the most balanced Met fans that there could be. I'm usually not one to yell at the cloud, sign everyone. But Yamamoto was not a player that Cohen could afford to lose. This was Cohen's moment. This is where he should have put a stake in the ground and showed us he was the owner he told us he was. A generational player was on the market, and he was going to get him. Now, we're back until wait till next year talk. As a longtime Met fan, I'm done hearing wait till next year. We had to hear that for like six years while we were waiting on Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler to mature. We were hearing wait till next year, and we had to watch Colin Cowgill in the Mets lineup and twist our thoughts to believe, hey, maybe Colin Cowgill can be a sleeper star. <laughs> 
What has Cohen done since being Mets owner? He has made some signings, sure, but it has mostly been low risk, short-term stopgap signings. We have been shopping in the dent and scratch section in the supermarket. We were sold that we were going to be shopping for filet mignon and champagne with Cohen, but time after time, we just don't go all the way. JT Realmuto is out there. We don't want to spend like drunken sailors. We got a good backup option in James McCann. Kyle Schwarber was out there when the writing was on the wall that there was going to be the universal DH, but we can't make it work with Vogelback. We don't want to spend money on the DH. Worked pretty well with Big Poppy. Last offseason was one of those wait-till-next-year classes. And what do we do? We signed Verlander, who's 80, and Kodai Senga. Senga's the move I'll give them credit for, but that doesn't make up for the garbage that we've been dealing with. Trey Turner was out there, and he was allowed to just walk off to the Phillies because apparently he was too good to sign. But we were willing to give Correa a billion dollars, even though of the three shortstop third baseman options, he was still the third best at the time, and we didn't get him anyway. Now we have to hear wait till next year during this offseason when Otani was available. We have been sold Otani literally for years since Cohen's been owner. And now we're told he didn't call me or I didn't even try. Yamamoto could not be lost. I don't care if he ended up being a $400 million paperweight. Optically, Cohen needed this. It would have been seen as a victory over the Yankees. He would have gotten endless goodwill from us. Here's what I do know. We will wait till next year. But here's what's going to happen. Of the big four pitchers, everyone's going to want Corbin Burns. He's the one I want. He'll be traded mid-year to a big market team, love it there, and re-sign. He's off the market. Max Fried will re-sign with the Braves. He's off the market. Walker Buehler and Zach Wheeler will be the players that'll be left, and the Mets will be stuck overpaying to get Zach Wheeler back for what he's done sticking it to the Mets and letting him walk the first time and will stink on his return. Lastly, for all the Met fans that think we're getting Juan Soto, we aren't getting Juan Soto. I already thought this before, but losing Yamamoto confirms it. He's going to sign with the Yankees. They have a year to woo him. He's going to love it there, but he will use us to bid up the price. I'd empty the farm system today for Juan Soto because, again, I'm done with wait till next year. What about this year? We had 100 wins in 2022, and we did not trade for anyone at the deadline. It's because of this wait till next year mentality. I want a championship this year. I want to try this year. I want to go all in this year. And I'll tell you a little secret. I'll have the same mentality next year. Sorry for the long note. I had to get that off my chest. Great email, Brian. I understand the emotion. I appreciate it. And I agree with a big part of it. We're only getting older. None of us want to sit around waiting till next year. Not when they've raised ticket prices. Not when we're that kind of removed from a 100-win season of two years ago. So I get it. I think there's a balance, though. Like, going all in on Yamamoto is something I agree with you on. And that's why we're on the same page. The Mets needed to make a super offer. You may even say a stupid offer. They had to grossly outbid their opponents. They did not do that. They outbid their opponents slightly, and it was close enough for their closest rival to simply match it and call it a day. With that said, I don't want to do stupid things. While I want to win this year, I don't want to do and try dumb things at a win-at-all-cost mentality. Because the truth is, you can do both. You really can. 
And that's why the Mets needed to use the weapon of free agency and the weapon of having an owner that has a lot of money. Absorb a bad contract. Sign a big free agent. Do that without emptying the farm system, as you suggested, for Juan Soto. Are the Mets going to sign Juan Soto as I sit here today on the end of 23 into 2024? Do I think they're going to sign him? It's going to be tough. My confidence today is not what it was three weeks ago. Because my confidence three weeks ago was that our owner was a caricature that would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. I want that painting. I'll go get that painting. And what we have for now until proven otherwise is just a traditional big market owner. And while that's a huge upgrade over the Wilpons, that's not a guy I can confidently say is going to just go get whoever he wants. Because you're right about this, Brian. If the Mets are going to get Juan Soto, they're going to have to outbid the Yankees by a lot. That's what they're going to need to do. Can they do that? If Steve Cohen learns from what happened with Yamamoto, maybe they can. Maybe they will. Are the Yankees going to have a line in the sand like they've had for other guys in the past, like they had for Robinson Cano, like they had for Yamamoto, where they say, look, we're willing to offer a lot of money, but we're not going past this? Maybe so. And if that line is $450 million, then Steve Cohen better bid five fifty. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's what you need to do. Otherwise, you're not getting big free agents because the tie's going to the Dodgers. The tie's going to the Yankees. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dan writes, disappointed and relieved. First, let me say a big fan of yours, big fan of the podcast. Been listening to you since you're an up-and-comer at the fan. Thank you. And I find most of your Met takes and general attitude towards the team to be in the right in line with mine. I'm probably three to four years older than you, which is likely why we share a lot of the same perspective. Although, I actually have memories of 86 and 88, which is a blessing and a curse as a Met fan. (laughs) I understand that. Anyway, in regard to Yamamoto, I'm disappointed. It's clear Yamamoto had a chance and has a chance to be a special player in MLB. And I, like any other baseball fan, was very excited about the possibility of his specialness belonging to us. And since the Mets have been quite clear that they're not going to pivot to any other big free agent, this all but confirms an underwhelming offseason for us. Yes, I know that's good business, but it will sap our excitement and that's no fun at all. By the way, that is a really true statement. Keep that in mind. You can do something smart and still be disappointed. 
And that's exactly how I feel. I think that's phrased very, very well. This is going to be a disappointing offseason. I don't think there's any question. And coming into it, I remember laying this out. Otani Yamamoto, if they miss out on them, they are not just going to pivot and buy someone for the sake of buying someone. And that means disappointing offseason. That means you will hear people say, this is the worst offseason ever, which it's not. It's just disappointing. Massively disappointing. And you're going to have to bend yourself into a pretzel to convince yourself the Mets are going to make the playoffs in 2024. But we'll do that anyway as fans. And we'll play that game. While also saying, hey, I'm glad they're not doing something stupid like handing Blake Snell $200 million. Two things can be true at the same time. Anyhow, he goes on to write, I'm relieved. The insanity that that has transpired over the last few weeks in New York, in the media, and just in the area at large regarding Yamamoto was getting out of hand. In a lot of ways, this rivaled the Subway Series for the Mets and the Yankees' vitriol. And I'm not ashamed to say I hate the Yankees. Not so much the people on their team, it's more their fans. Those specific fans that only tune in in September and October and think the Yankees are entitled to all rings and all players. The ones that were kids in the late 90s, so they think it's their birthright to be number one. When it looked like this was going to be down to the Mets or the Yankees, especially after the Otani and Glasnow deals, I started to consider this as a lose-lose proposition. On the one hand, the Yankees could land the player and we'd be subject to the same BS we always are. See, no one wants to play for the Mets when they could don the pinstripes. Where's your Uncle Stevie now? Blah, 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 blah. On the other hand, for the Mets to land him, they would have to have vastly overpaid for a guy that's never stood on an MLB mound. What happens if he's a flop? What happens if he needs Tommy John surgery right away and is never the same? What if he's just a mediocre pitcher? Yes, I know many front offices have evaluated him and decided he's the real deal, but he's also a beneficiary beneficiary of being one of the only aces on the market this offseason. And the lack of resume is likely adding to his value rather than taking away. All good news for him, but ultimately a bit of a gamble for the team that signs him. Maybe I'm a damaged Mets fan, but it seems like long-term deals for players, especially pitchers, constantly turn into an albatross. It's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that we look back on this deal in a few years with a sigh of relief. He writes more, but I want to respond to this. You can look at every free agent and say, this is a dumb contract, or this is a risky contract, or this is an overpay. Free agency generally doesn't work out. Doesn't mean it never works out. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved in it. But free agency is usually paying for what a guy did. Now, in Yamamoto's case, he's 25 years old, so you're paying for what you think he's going to do. But if you think about free agency in a very smart, balanced way, you'll never sign anybody. You know what I mean by that? Now, obviously, there are lines in the sand that we all have. We just laid it out for a guy like Blake Snow. I deem that to be dumb. But other things you do in free agency are just less dumb. But everything is dumb, if that makes sense. It's free agency. And go through the history of it. Like, you'll find some really good signings. Max Scherzer to the Washington Nationals. Randy Johnson to the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm sticking with pitchers for now. But then there's a ton that that fail. It's a risk. But when you have an owner with a lot of money, and that's the beauty of being a big market owner, is that you are able to take that risk. 
And if it doesn't work, it's not going to hamstrung you forever. Let me continue with uh, Dan's email because he does have another paragraph. And he spent a lot of time writing it, and I appreciate it. Maybe the most important thing to consider about all this, though, is that the Dodgers have had this offseason circled as the one to go big for a couple of years now. It should come as no surprise they were able to execute like this. The Mets, however, have seemingly circled next offseason as their time to spend big. So no one, Mets or Yankee fan, should be surprised here. The Mets have a long way to go to build their brand up as a destination for young star free agents. That will come from on-the-field success. You can't really fast-track that with cash. You can only supplement it. In the end of the day, I'd rather be the Mets than the Yankees. When both teams scuffled this year, it was the Yankee fans who really seemed to struggle with it more. I guess they just weren't as used to it as us. (laughs) And to me, that kind of fan media team culture would be less attractive to a potential free agent. The Mets aren't without their own stigma of dysfunction, but it's hard to believe they'd ever boo their best player in the playoffs. So here's to a boring offseason. I hope Yamamoto's a bust and Otani never pitches again. So when the Mets are back on top, the Dodgers won't stand in their way. Dan in Connecticut. (laughs) I think that for this franchise to be successful, for this franchise to surprise us this year and be a championship contender next year and the year after, yeah, we'll spend a lot of time talking about free agents they need to sign, but they are going to have to develop a strong nucleus. And they have to a degree. I mean, the Mets have a strong position player base of Pete and Nimmo and Lindor and McNeil, assuming he can bounce back. It's not the worst in the world, obviously. But they're going to have to develop some young starting pitching. They are. They cannot just buy five starters every single year. David Vale writes, pivot to Pete. Stearns and Cohen have to pivot to Pete Alonzo. I have a bad feeling they won't and will wait until he's a free agent and he'll walk because someone will offer him north of what he's worth. It goes back to what you always preach about not paying hometown guys and spending elsewhere. Dave from Shithole, Vermont. Is that a real place? Shithole, Vermont? Or is that a town? (laughs) Or is he just calling Vermont a shithole? (laughs) I'm sorry. I've driven 20 hours in the last two days coming back from Florida. I explained this earlier in the pod, but I believe re-signing Pete Alonzo, extending Pete Alonzo right now is so important, not just from a PR standpoint, because what does that mean? But from a, you take away a lot of the work you have to do next offseason. Because next offseason, which is now the new, hey, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Max Freed, look at all these free agents. Juan Soto. Why would you want to have to add your own guy to that list? Now you're putting together an agenda where you've got a lot of freaking work to do next December and January. Why not get this Pete thing out of the way now? It does take two to tango. He is represented by Scott Boris. And so that's a problem. And that could be a problem because if he's asking for $300 million and you value him, and you look at it and say, well, you know, we'll give you seven years, 200, and you're that far off, then you can't just simply wave a magic wand to get the deal done. I do understand that. I guess what I'm hoping for, more than waving a magic wand, assuming it's not happening, because we haven't heard any rumors that it is, is I think you just need to start to really have serious conversations about it. Get Scott Boris in a room and say, all right, Scott, let's try to be reasonable here. 
You're not getting $300 million in free agency. Let's not play that game. Let's get this thing done. We know Pete wants to be here. You just got him as a client five minutes ago. That's an easy earnings for you without having to take him to free agency. Let's get this thing done. And let me defend Scott and Pete on this. Can we stop using Matt Olson's contract as a sample? Matt Olson signed it well before free agency. And Matt Olson also signed it before he was as established as what Pete Alonzo is now. It's not the contract Pete should sign. I'm sorry. It's not. I hate when it's used. Jean-Pierre writes, rotation question I haven't heard asked yet. Ooh, this is exciting. Hey there, Evan. First, I'd like to say love the pod. It's always my first listen on days it gets released. We appreciate that. My question has to do with the plan for this rotation beyond 2024 in the wake of losing out on Yamamoto. The short-term plan seems to be to fill out the rotation with reclamation projects and one-year deals with the idea of not mortgaging the future. I actually disagree with this plan to an extent because as of right now, Kodai is the only pitcher locked in beyond 2024. Stearns and Cohen obviously have an eye to 2025 in terms of when they really want to compete. However, it'd be tough to fill out a championship caliber rotation in just one offseason with that many holes. Shouldn't this process begin this offseason? Yes, yes, and yes. I agree with you. Right now, and this doesn't include the young arm that emerges, the Christian Scott or Jose Budo makes it clear he deserves a rotation spot. So leave those guys out for now. Obviously, you're hoping that someone emerges. If you get one guy to emerge as a, that guy's got to be in my rotation next year, that's a huge win. But you can't assume that. Hasn't happened the last couple of years. Can't assume it now. I agree with you that I would like a second guy with Kodai Senga that you could at least go into the offseason next year with and say, hey, I got two-fifths of my rotation set. Maybe even three-fifths if there is that young guy that you want to give a shot to. Going into the offseason next year, potentially with only one guy under control that you have confidence in being in your rotation is very, very risky. I lean towards Montgomery, and I know this is sort of hypocritical over Imanaga. Iman, Imanaga, Imanaga. If the Mets sign him, I'll get it right. I promise you. And I know this is hypocritical compared to Yamamoto. I think I prefer Montgomery just because I've seen him. Because I've watched him develop over the last few years. I've watched him get better. In a weird way, him being a Yankee and him being average with the Yankees has warmed me up to him because I've seen him get considerably better over the last year and a half with St. Louis and Texas. John Nieves writes, the caricature was dead a year ago. Bro, this caricature isn't dead because Steve Cohen won't go above and beyond to blow guys away. The caricature died the second the other owners got jealous and made the Cohen tax. They changed the math and the value proposition of overpaying. Remember, this team is data-driven now. The deadline deals to trade Max and Verlander happened because of the math. Now the data says it would be an absolute sure thing to overplay and blow another suitor out of the way. Yamamoto was not a sure thing. Soto might be, but you say he's in decline, so maybe not. But I assure you, if the sure thing ever comes along, the version of Moneybag Steve will appear. I don't know that. And by the way, Moneybag Steve did appear. Let me, let me, let's phrase this correctly. He offered the guy $325 million. Guy never pitched in the major leagues. I'm not saying he made him a crappy offer or a cheap offer. He made him for a moment in time, the highest offer till he got matched. What I'm merely saying 
is the caricature we all created. And I assume John was a part of it too, was that me want this player, me get this player. That has not happened. That's what George did for a very long time. And I know we don't want Steve Cohen necessarily to be every aspect of George Steinbrenner. I get that. But we were hoping he would be, I want this guy, I go get this guy. That has not happened yet. Will it happen? I hope so. He's been the owner for a couple of years. Things can change. Maybe Juan Soto is that guy. Maybe the first guy that he looks at and says, I'm not just going to make the highest offer. I'm going to blow him away with this. Maybe it is Juan Soto. Darren writes, your disappointment with Steve. I know you weren't totally disappointed per se. I just wanted to get your attention. (laughs) Okay. I think I disagree with your take on this whole Yamamoto outcome. While I agree that maybe we all built Mr. Cohen into something he's not, I disagree with your take that you want him to blow people away with an offer. I think that maybe he didn't think that this was the time to do it for a move like that. This guy's calculated, not for someone with no MLB games under his belt. I think he has his eye on next offseason, at least, I hope. Next year, when Juan Soto is available, a much more proven commodity, you don't think he's going to go about this a little differently? I think it's more likely he does. I get your proclivity to overreact emotionally, and I think that's what this is. Give it some rational thought. You might feel a little different when you consider all aspects of the situation. I've given it a week, and... I stand by that. Like if, if you, and let, let me phrase this differently. All right. If you want to sign a free agent and you're the New York Mets who have won nothing, you need to outbid your opponent by a lot. I thought that about Otani. They didn't do it because Otani's agent didn't give him a call back. They sort of tried to do it with Yamamoto, but it wasn't by enough. And yeah. They're going to have to do it next year with guys like Juan Soto and Corbin Burns. It is very unlikely in a market where a ton of teams are going after a player that you're just going to get a guy by being in the mix. That's not true. That's not where this franchise is. And while that's disappointing, that's the reality. Will Juan Soto next year be the guy? That Steve Cohen says, I'm not taking no for an answer. I will leave no doubt. We'll find out. The problem is we got to wait a year. And no one's in the mood to wait a year. Appreciate all the emails. I apologize we couldn't get to all of them. We will certainly spend a lot more time in the coming weeks discussing pivot plans. Right now, I lean on Jordan Montgomery. I lean on bringing someone else in this rotation that you not just have for 2024, but you have for the future. That's where I'm at right now. We'll also read some of your emails coming up in the next week or so concerning the pods we dropped over the last week, the greatest one-year wonders in Met history and the best seasons in Met history. And a reminder, Game 7, Mets-Cardinals, hate to be depressing from 2006. That's our big off-season rewatch game. So if you haven't had a chance to watch it and you have some free time, give it a look, and we'll do a special podcast on that in the next couple of weeks. We do appreciate you listening to Rico Bronia. I apologize for being away. I thought when I recorded the driving down to Florida pod on Yamamoto, I even said to Hall Fall Fair, I texted him. I said, you know what? After a big day at Magic Kingdom, I'll sit down. We'll do like an hour podcast. We'll, we'll get a kind of more balanced take on Yamamoto while I'm away. And I was so freaking tired after every day at Disney, I could not do it. <laughs> so I apologize. 
Every day I would get home and I'd say, all right, let me turn the microphone on. Let's do it. And for anyone that has kids or doesn't have kids, you just go to Disney World on your own. You know that you are freaking exhausted. So I apologize. But I appreciate you listening and downloading. I'll be back with Tiki on Tuesday, January 2nd at 2 o'clock on WFN. We'll hope you take a listen. Thank you for listening to Rico Bro. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.